We're going to continue on into our summer mixtape sermon series. And uh, I know the beard is a little misconceiving. I'm not as old as I look. I don't know how old you think I am. Uh, I'm 42 years old, but I do remember uh, being able to sit and listen to the radio and make mixtapes. And I used to call into the radio station request my song. Radio stations are these things where they play music during the day and they have commercials and it, all right, just want to make sure they knew what that was. But you'd call in and you'd request your song. Who, who has been there to request the song on the radio? Not as many? Okay, all right, all right, there's some of you. But I, I, I'd call and you request a song and I would sit there with the tape in the tape player waiting to hit record and waiting and waiting, and then realizing there must be about 20 other people in front of me who requested a song. And just, you wait for almost the entire evening. You'd wait for two hours sometimes just to hear your song. I hit record. And you had to, you really had to hope that uh, when they started playing your song, the DJ didn't do something really, you know, dorky like, and this song comes in from, you know, as your song starts playing, you're like, this is the best part. You had to wait, you had to have patience. And then that song would pop up, and you'd hit record, and you'd listen to it. And all that required the patience. You had to plan things out a little bit. It took patience to fill up a tape. That, that cassette tape held anywhere from 30 minutes to 60 minutes on one side, and you had to kind of know how much time was left and how much time you're placing in between your songs. And it was, it was a little bit of a chore, and nothing like it is now where you type in a search engine you know, your favorite song and 46 different options of that song pop up and you're like, I like this one. You only really had one choice, one option. But it took patience and you had to wait and wait and wait for it. And as we get ready to open our Bibles, I'm going to need some patience from you guys as we begin to connect some dots from the Old Testament to the New Testament in talking about uh, this cool little story that I've titled Mary's Little Lamb. So if you would stand with me, uh, we're going to read in Exodus chapter 12, verses 21 through 27. It says this, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when, you, when he sees the blood on the lintels and on the door, two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come into the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and they worshiped. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day and I pray, Lord, as we begin to look at this scripture here, and as we look at others, as we connect some of the Old Testament and the New Testament together, you would open our minds to the things that you want us to see. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the things that you're going to do in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll go ahead and grab a seat, give somebody next to you a a fist bump or something like that. And uh, I want you to put a bookmark in Exodus chapter 12. We're coming back to Exodus chapter 12, so put a bookmark there. But we have a few other scriptures we're going to hit as well. Uh, Micah, which is, which is kind of towards the New Testament, you're just before the New Testament. Micah chapter 4, verse 8, says this, And you, O tower of the flock, 
Hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, the former dominion shall come, kingship for her daughter, Jerusalem. Uh, that word tower of the flock, some of your Bibles may actually say migdal eder. Migdal eder is the actual Hebrew words that mean tower of the flock. One chapter over, Micah chapter 5, verse 2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephraim, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler of Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And we have one more scripture we're going to throw up there. In the New Testament, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 4, says this, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to, to Judea, to the city of David, which he called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling claws, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And now I know some of you are looking at me, scratching your head, going, is it Christmas time? Kind of. Uh, these scriptures kind of go with Christmas, but there's more, well, and we're in July. Who celebrates Christmas in July? Wait, got one? All right. I always thought it would be kind of cool because my birthday's in December and this would separate the two, but I've never done it. So uh, now as we go into this, I want to help kind of connect some dots and begin to, begin to deepen our understanding of who Jesus is. Uh, and, and with that, kind of God's plan and purpose with communion. Uh, Edersheim, who is a German historian, he writes about the life and times of Jesus and he tells us that the, the Mishnah, which is the Jewish uh, codification of the law, it's oral traditions written down, and it's their customs and how they interpreted those laws. The, the Mishnah tells us that when it came to keeping sheep and the shepherds in the land of Israel, they could not have sheep just any old where, but they had to keep them confined to areas known as the wilderness or deserts, with one exception. There were sheep that were kept, lambs that were raised to be offered as sacrifices in the temple. These sheep and lambs were therefore kept close to the city of Jerusalem, uh, where, there was the, where the temple was located. And those lambs that were kept for temple sacrifice were kept about four miles south in the city, near the city of Bethlehem, at a place called Migdal Eder, or Tower of the Flock. There, there would be these shepherds kind of keeping their fields. The shepherds watched over the lambs and the sheep, and it would be really easy for them to watch over them and keep them free from predators. These shepherds guarding the flocks would have been not your typical shepherds. They had a little extra education. Uh, these shepherds were taught and trained by the Levites. Those are the priests in the land of Israel. And they were trained for kind of helping to keep special care and nurture of these sacrificial lambs. The sheep then, here, unlike other sheep, were kept in the fields year-round, which would have been unusual kind of by custom. But because they are temple sacrifice animals, they were kept year-round because every day at least two of them would be taken to the temple to be sacrificed, one in the morning, one in the evening. And because of where they're at, they're, they're close to the city of Bethlehem, there's this place that was called Tower of the Flock, Migdal Eder, there were these stalls in this place that were ceremonially cleaned. And when a ewe began to get ready to give birth to a lamb, they would go in and they would clean these stalls out. They'd make sure they were ceremonially clean. 
and the shepherds would care for these lambs. They'd take special care to wrap their limbs and their bodies in strips of swaddling cloths, strips of linen, to help strengthen them, to watch over them, because these lambs were special. They deserved special care. And because these lambs were to be used as sacrifices, according to Jewish law, they could not have a spot or a blemish or a wrinkle or anything like that that would make them not perfect. So when you begin to think about Mary and Joseph traveling to Bethlehem, they have to go there for the census. They're looking for a place to stay, and it says, you know, there was no room for them in the inn. Mary and Joseph know the rules. They know the things. And I'm sure they would have been going, well, there's, there's the tower of the flock just outside the city. That place would be clean, it would be warm, it'd be a great place to give birth to a child. So in Luke chapter 2, Mary and Joseph do that. And as we continue on from where we were at in Luke, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, says this. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace among those whom he is pleased. Then the angels went from there unto heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard as it had been told them. See, it's an interesting thing in this scripture, when you begin to look at it, that the angels would appear to shepherds at night. Usually shepherds were not out at night, but because these shepherds were different, because the sheep they were watching were special, because of the kind of flock they were watching, they were out there. And the angel appears to them and gives them this word that they're going to find a baby lying in a manger. And these shepherds, because of who they are, all of a sudden know exactly where to find the baby. Because it's the only place that they know where this is going to happen. They're the shepherds who watch over the sacrifice sheep. They're the shepherds who watch over the newborn lambs. They go, it's going to be at the tower of the flock. It's going to be at Migdal Eder. That's the, that's the place that the prophet Micah foretold about. It was there in that room, the tower of the flock, Migdal Eder, that the sacrificial lambs were born and the shepherds would wrap them in those swaddling claws just as Jesus was, the Lamb of God, who was born to Mary and wrapped in swaddling claws. Now with all that in mind, I had you put your finger in Exodus chapter 12. We're going to go back to Exodus chapter 12. And as we go back there, we're going to learn a little more about this Passover lamb. We learn about the sacrificial lamb and we learn about what that is all about and what it's like. So as we head back to the Old Testament, there's this principle that we have to keep in mind. That the Old Testament is this foreshadowing, this illustration. It's a, almost like a picture of what it will be like for Jesus Christ to come. 
And Jesus, he fulfills the entire law. He fulfills the prophets. He fulfills all the scriptures. And all those pictures of the Old Testament that point to Jesus, it's what he would do. In fact, you can kind of think of it this way. You can think of it as, as kids, we teach them to read by showing them a picture. You know, you show them a picture of a cat, and you have the letters C-A-T underneath there, cat, cat. You begin to teach them that way. The Old Testament is much the same way for us. The Old Testament points to Christ. And God in his desire to help us understand who Jesus is, what Jesus will do, God's plan for the ages and for mankind gives us the Old Testament as a picture book to point us towards Christ. So as you go back to Exodus chapter 12, God's people are in slavery. God wants to deliver them. He's heard their cries. He's heard their their moanings. It's this picture of what slavery and bondage to sin for us is and how God wants to deliver us from those very same things. But for the people to be delivered out of, out of Israel's slavery, in Exodus 12, there has to be this sacrifice. Something has to be done. They don't understand it necessarily. Just as for you and me to be delivered, there has to be a sacrifice, and we don't always understand it. So when we're introduced back to Exodus chapter 12, we're introduced to this concept of the Passover lamb. So in Exodus chapter 12, starting in verse 1, says this, The Lord said to Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. It's interesting the importance of this sacrifice for the people of Israel. As they're in slavery, this, this sacrifice, this thing that's about to happen, God says is going to be so important to you, it's going to be how you mark your life. Every year is going to start out this way. This sacrifice will change so many things. It'll change your life. From going to being a slave to being free is going to change things for you so much that you're going to date your life by it now. This will be the first month for you. This will be the new beginning. This is a a foreshadow of what will happen to us when people begin to put their faith in Jesus Christ, our sacrificial lamb. You can say this is in a very real sense for the believers that their life experience is going to change, that they're going to be living a new life, that their life's going to be transformed and given power. They can begin to date their life B.C. and A.C., before Christ and after Christ. Here is what it is before I knew Jesus. Here's what my life looked like. And here's what my life looks like now. It's different There's a power and a forgiveness from God, and I'm going to begin to tell it out and live it out. Exodus chapter 12, verse 3 continues, Then tell the congregation of Israel, On the tenth day of the month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. So here's how it worked for them. Clear up to that day, to the days of Jesus, this is what every household did in the land of Israel. As the Passover came, Passover came to be, in that beginning of the month, on the 10th day, each family would go out and select a lamb, about one year of age. They would take that lamb, they'd pull it from the flock, and that lamb would be kept near them and begin to live with them. And who knows, as a parent, as soon as you have a pet for more than five hours, your kids are attached to it. They have this lamb with them in their house. They would live around it and be with it. It'd be family for the next four days. The purpose of this was to cause people to get attached to it. 
So as you understand some attachment to that lamb, you, you're also going to have a different feeling for it when you have to go and slaughter that lamb. It began to bring an awareness of the cost of the sorrow associated with the shedding of blood. So they would get this instruction. They'd go select their lamb. They would live with them, but not just any lamb. This lamb had to be special. There are things about this lamb that it had to do with Christ. So the first thing I want you to see about the lamb is that lamb had to be spotless. Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. God's instruction to Moses is this, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. In other words, there couldn't be a, a mark on there, there couldn't be a cut, it couldn't have a limp. There couldn't be anything with this lamb that made it not look like it was perfect. There couldn't be a festering sore, it couldn't have a runny eye, it couldn't have an ear infection, it couldn't have any kind of disease. That lamb had to be absolutely perfect to be sacrificed. The Bible tells us that Jesus in his life was spotless, that he was perfect. He was in every way pure. He was like the writer of Hebrews tells us, he was like us yet without sin. That means he never did anything to go against God's law. He never thought a bad thought. He never said an unkind word. He never said anything inappropriate. He never did anything that was wrong. For 33 years, he was tempted in every way we are, the Bible says, yet without sin. He was spotless. He was pure. He was the unblemished lamb. The second thing I want you to see as we continue looking at Exodus is that that lamb was a slain and saving lamb. Exodus chapter 12, verse 6. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Why are they killing this lamb? According to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus' blood is compared to the blood of a shed lamb. Just as they were ransomed out of Egypt through the sacrifice of a Passover lamb, 1 Peter 1, uh, 18 and 19 tell us that we were ransomed with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. Exodus chapter 12, verse 7 continues on. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat. They had to go take that blood from that lamb and they begin to spread it on the two side posts and across the top of the door. Verse 12, for I will pass through, God says, the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment for I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plagues will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Think about this for a moment. God was coming to judge everyone in the land of Egypt. And the only way that someone could escape this judgment wasn't by putting on a bunch of jewelry, wasn't by putting on more gold, it wasn't by doing a bunch of things that had value to it. It wasn't about putting that stuff on the outside of your house. It wasn't about anything but trying to be good. It wasn't about anybody trying to be super kind. It's, it's an interesting thing to think about. Because the way that 
that they could get to God, the way that they could be passed over, the way that they could be considered righteous in that moment in the land of Egypt was simply by making a sacrifice and putting that on the doorposts. See, today we tend to think that, that we could get by if, we were just, if we're just good enough, if we just do the right things, if, if I just give a little more money to church, if I, if I just try to live a little better life than the other guy. But just as those things would not save the people in the land of Israel, that it would not save them from the slavery in Egypt, that will not save us today either. At some point, there has to be a sacrifice for sin. And Jesus laid down his life on the cross of Calvary. He shed his blood as the Lamb of God to purchase our forgiveness and our pardon. See, after they slaughtered the, the lamb, they'd take that hyssop branch and they would dip in the blood of that lamb. They'd apply it to the doorposts of their house, covering their house with the blood of the lamb. And that death angel would come across and it would see that blood and pass over. Judgment would pass over the house. Judgment would pass over. And the people inside were spared. And it's this beautiful picture as you begin to think about it of what happens when we see Jesus as the Lamb. If you go back to the New Testament, John chapter 1, verse 29. This is the very start of Jesus' ministry and, and John the Baptist is out baptizing people in the Jordan River and he's got his disciples, Andrew and Peter, with him. And they're there that John is baptizing and he sees Jesus walking by in the distance and he points to his disciples and goes, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John, in this moment, sees Jesus and, and with distinction calls him the, the Lamb of God. See, Jesus was born in the place where those Passover lambs were born. I'm sure that John, being a cousin of Jesus, probably heard the stories from Joseph and Mary. That as they traveled to Bethlehem, they couldn't find a place, so they decided to go to the tower of the flock to Migdal Eder. And there, Jesus was born the same place the Passover lambs were born. And John, seeing Jesus after he is baptized, and begins to remember these things and declares, Behold the Lamb of God. And as you begin to go to the end of Jesus' ministry, three years later, Jesus comes to Jerusalem for the final time. He chooses for that day of his triumphal entry to be, into Jerusalem to be what we call Palm Sunday. He chooses to come down the, the Mount of Olives. And as he comes down the Mount of Olives, it's this steep hill on the east side of Jerusalem. And at the bottom of this hill is the Kidron Valley. It's a, it's a brook that runs through it. And he climbs the other side of it up to the temple area. And as he, he comes down to the excitement of the crowds, they're singing of who he is. They're saying, holy is God. And he's coming down on the 10th day of the month. For us, that is Palm Sunday, but... For them, that's the day they choose the Passover lambs. And as Jesus comes up, he comes up into the temple and he's... Normally when you come into the temple area, you take a ceremonial bath and you put on a clean robe and you, you do all these things. And every time Jesus has entered the temple area, he has gone through this ritual. He's taken the bath, he's put on the new robe, but not this time. Jesus is entering at the same time the Passover lambs are entering. And he takes his donkey and he goes up the steps and he arrives in the temple area with the Passover lambs. You begin to see the picture that is painted by Scripture. He is coming in at the same time the Passover lambs are chosen for the nation on the 10th day of the month. 
that in a, in a week as we read the Gospels, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are going to try to ask him questions, trying to trap Jesus up. They're going to try to make him slip up in his words, but they can't find any way to do that because he's the spotless and perfect lamb. He's perfect in what he says. If you flip a few pages over in John chapter 18, and Jesus has been arrested. And in John chapter 18, verse 28, it says this, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, who is the high priest, to the governor's headquarters, which is Pilate's house. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would be, not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. In our timeline, Passover has showed up. Then Jesus is examined by Pilate, and Pilate makes this verdict in verse 38. I find no fault in him. Jesus was spotless. He was perfect. He was without blemish. He's turned over to executioners, and at 9 a.m. he is crucified. At 3 in the afternoon, after being on the cross for six hours, Jesus says these words, It is finished. And he surrenders up his spirit. At that very moment in the temple, the high priest is bringing the knife down on the Passover lamb that be sacrificed for the nation. Jesus was the Passover lamb. And on that cross, what he did is Jesus in that moment bore in his body our sin. He took our place. He is our Passover lamb. See, he's not only a special lamb, as we've seen in that history piece, but we've seen in the lamb in the time of Christ, where he was born and all these things, but he's also a sovereign lamb. Because just as he was mentioned in the past, he's mentioned in the future. You come to Revelation chapter 5, the last book in your Bible. And the Apostle John is having this, this revelation of the Lord Jesus. He's having this revelation of heaven and what the end is going to look like. And if you read chapters 4 or 5, you now come to the throne room of God. And John writes these powerful, powerful words. Revelation chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, I saw among the elders a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out unto all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, if the worship team would come up. 
It's this imagery. When John the Baptist saw Jesus walking and he cries out, Behold the Lamb of God. This, Jesus wasn't walking on all fours with his fluffy coat. Jesus was simply a man walking by the Jordan River. But there's this imagery again and again as Jesus as a sacrificial lamb. And as the Apostle John is having this vision of heaven, he writes in the book of Revelation, and the image is of him standing before heaven. Revelation chapter 5, he continues in verse 9. And then we sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and a priest to God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads, that's Greek for millions and millions, and thousands and thousands. Revelation says that when one angel speaks, the heavens will shake. Will you imagine what it will be when there's millions upon millions, thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature on earth and in heaven and around the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all of them with him saying, to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the others fell down and worshiped. From the beginning in Exodus through Jesus' life to the end in Revelation, we see Jesus pictured as this lamb, a sacrificial lamb. And I know this is different, but if you would stand with me, you have those communion elements with you. I want you to hang on to those for a moment. The bread which represents the, the body of Christ, the, the cup, the juice that represents his blood shed for us. I want you to hang on to those for a moment as we sing this. And we need to take this moment seriously, but I need you to understand something, that this moment isn't a moment of self-autopsy. This isn't a moment to go, God, I failed you in every area of my life. I've done all these bad things. No. When Jesus gets ready to do this with his disciples, he tells them this simple thing. Do this in remembrance of me. So as we sing this morning, as we begin to sing this out, holy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. Don't think about you. Don't think about how you've let God down, how you failed this week. Think of his sacrifice for you. Think of how he laid down his life for you. If you have those communion elements, go ahead and take them in your hands. And uh, we serve an open communion here. That means you don't have to be part of our church to, to take this. You simply have to understand that Jesus died for you. If you're willing to put your faith and trust in what these things symbolize. That upon him he took on our weaknesses. He took upon our sin.
And you did that so we could have a relationship with us and be close to us. So if you've opened that up, go ahead and take that little piece of, of uh, cracker. And we're going to pray together and partake of these things together. So, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you. Jesus, I want to thank you that you did so much for us. That on the cross you bore our illnesses, you bore our diseases, you bore everything that we needed. The punishment that we should have took, those, those lashes at the Roman hands, the nails through the hands and the nails through the feet, God, you took for us. In your body, you bore the very things that we should have taken. And you did it for us. That we could be forgiven and that we could have a relationship with you. So Jesus, we remember you. We remember your sacrifice and we remember your love for us. You may partake of the bread. And then came the wine at the meal where Jesus would look at his disciples and say, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The blood on the cross is much like the, the blood on the doorposts in Egypt. It covers us. It covers every place we've failed. It covers everything that we've done. And this is a symbol. It's a way to remember. It's a way to look and say, God, thank you so much. Just take a moment and just thank God for what he's done. Lord, I thank you that you shed your blood for us. That on the cross you gave everything for us. That as the writer of Hebrews said, for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross. And God, that joy that you saw was each and every one of us. And so, Lord, we take this cup and we remember that you shed your blood for us, that we are your joy. And God, this reminds us that you have covered us, that if we believe in you and trust in you, your blood covers our sins and makes us white and holy and righteous before you. And Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember to take of the cup. Jesus came and he died for our sins. He took our place on Calvary. And if you're willing to put your faith in him, the Bible says you are saved. And then Jesus was resurrected. He was exalted to the right hand of God. And the Bible says that Jesus who came first, the Bible says, will come again. And just as we saw from Exodus through the Bible, to the end of time, as much as those things happened and Jesus fulfilled all those things, what we read about in Revelation chapter 5 will surely happen as it did in Micah chapter 5. That he will come again for us. So as we close out this morning, I want to say, I want to give you this opportunity just to put your faith in God if you haven't done that that there's a God who loves you and cares for you enough to give his son for you. And if that's something you haven't done, it's not about the stuff. 
It's not about showing up. It's not about taking communion. It's not about having being confirmed. It's not about being a member of a church. But it's about putting in a faith in a Savior who said, I'm willing to come for you. So if that's you this morning, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, if you want to stop and take that heart moment, we want to give you that opportunity. So if that's you this morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, we just want to give you an opportunity to raise your hand and say, Pastor Mitch, that's me. I want to give everything I am to Jesus. I want to make sure that God's gift is for me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for this opportunity to celebrate who you are and what you did. And God, I pray for each one here, Lord, if they're making that choice, if they're making that heart decision to follow you truly and wholly, God, that we could lean on you and your grace in this moment. And God, that we could go from this place changed and made new. In Jesus' name, amen.